Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Take your seats. The Lord speak to us in his word this morning from Romans chapter 8. So I'd invite you to turn there to Romans chapter 8, or you can see it there in your bulletin as well. We'll be reading verses 18 through 25. So Romans 8, starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you knowing that you are the God of all hope. We pray that through your word and by the power of your spirit, you will bring us to your son, Jesus Christ, and that we will experience hope there as we worship you. Lord, comfort us in our affliction and show us compassion. Use me as your humble servant. Give me clear words and clear thoughts. Use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I've had to come to grips lately with the fact that we're all suffering. In some form or another, you are suffering. So the real question that we have to ask is, how are you dealing with it? How are you dealing with the suffering that you experience? Well, some of you are well acquainted with this suffering, with the realities of a sinful world. Your lives have been filled with toil and grief and pain. And if this is you, odds are you're a little bitter, a little cynical, a little hardened. The present time of suffering is something you don't need anyone to teach you about. But others of you have had a real wake-up call this year. You know, the world is supposed to be sinful and fallen, and, but basically things have always been okay. But now, now we can't do anything 
without being bombarded with news about people getting sick and dying and people being canceled and people being yelling at each other and it's just so much your life has been turned upside down and your plans have been destroyed and so we just how many times do we say it's too much god it's just too much i can't stop seeing it i can't stop hearing it i can't stop thinking about it and feeling it and fearing it. so what do you need in those moments you need a change of perspective in order for this for this this change from suffering to hope or cynicism to hope or bitterness to hope in order for these changes to take place you've got to know what it is god is doing you got to know what's on the other side you got to know just how good what's to come will be i believe that's the perspective that god wants to change us to this morning because in romans 8 18 through 25 god shows us that his plan for redemption changes your perspective from despair because of the sin-sick world, to hope because you will live in a sin-free world. God's plan of redemption changes your perspective from despair because of the sin-sick world to hope because you will live in a sin-free world. And so point number one, you despair because you live in a sin-sick world. We start right where Paul does and we acknowledge the realities of the sufferings that we face. Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, Paul is trying to get us to situate ourselves or to put ourselves in the story of what God is doing in the world. And he says, by putting ourselves in the story of what God is doing in the world, then that will lead to a change of perspective, and that change of perspective will lead to hope. And so when Paul says the present time of suffering He's not necessarily just saying, oh, for the, time be- for the time being, we have sufferings. We could call it the present time, a redemptive historical term, where it refers to a particular time in God's plan of redemption that spans throughout history. The present age, or the present time, is the time since Jesus has come. Jesus has already died on the cross. Jesus has already defeated Satan. Jesus has already established his kingdom on the earth. The war has already been decided and Christ is victorious. And yet, Christ has not yet returned to fully establish his kingdom. He has not yet returned to judge the living and the dead, as we say in the Apostles' Creed. So in the present age, Christ is one, but sin still desperately tries to thwart the inevitable reign of Christ's kingdom. In the present time, we know all too well that sin wreaks havoc and causes our suffering. And so it's in this present time that creation is still cursed. The world and the earth around us is subject to futility. Paul says, look in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. The word futility is the same word that Ecclesiastes uses to describe the world. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. That's the CSB version. The ESV says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. We're stuck in that futility, and we feel it every day. Creation is out of joint. 
It works against us. We work against it. We're frustrated with the futility of our work. We're frustrated when life seems futile or meaningless. We're frustrated with the fact that we can't seem to solve the world's problems. We can't seem to fix sicknesses and disease and viruses and cancers. And without Christ, we're stuck in Ecclesiastes in this sin-sick world. But Paul goes on in verse 21 and he says, look there at verse 21. Paul says, creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Creations in bondage to decay or corruption. It's fallen and distorted. There's these viruses that all of a sudden we all know way too much about. They can be passed from animals to humans and they mutate and they spread over the whole globe. They wreak havoc on our lives, our livelihood, and our loved ones. We know creation itself is abused and misused by, by humans and we don't take care of the earth the way that we should. Instead, we take amazing resources God has given us and we use them to hurt each other in wars. Or we take God-given technology and we use it to put each other down. And so we ask, why? Why is creation this way? Why is the earth in sinful bondage? Why do we experience futility? Well, the bad news is it's our fault. Why is creation this way? Because it was put under a curse. Because of sin. Jesus is three, Jesus is, excuse me, Genesis, Genesis 3.17. Cursed is the ground because of you. Physical creation was subjected to the curse. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Creation didn't choose for it to be that way. Who was it that willingly revolted against God and his plan for the world? It was us. It was humans. We revolted against God and his ways. And it started with Adam in the garden. He was made your covenant representative. In other words, you're put into his family. You're in Adam's camp. You have Adam's name. What Adam does, you're brought into. He represents you. Well, we like to say, oh, that's not fair. Well, actually, it was really awesome at first. Because Adam was put in charge of the whole earth. He was made a king over the earth to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over all the creatures and plants. Adam's told as a ruler under God's authority to go out into all the earth, create music and art and culture and all these beautiful things to the glory of God. But instead of ruling over the earth under God's authority, Adam chose to revolt. He chose to rise up against God and try to rule without God. Instead of God's kingdom, Adam wanted his kingdom. It's not any different than what we do today. But the fact still remains, when Adam chose to rise up against God's authority, we chose to rise up against God's authority. And so our fall into sin, and our sins even now, yes, they are ultimately sins against God, but they also have cosmic significance. The whole entire world has been defaced and distorted because of human sin, because it was, and it is, and it will be under our care. John Chrysostom, an old pastor and theologian from the 4th century, says, The earth, too, has received a curse. The creation suffered badly because of you. You are given responsibility over the earth so that what happens to you happens to the earth. And now where does this leave us? Where do we find ourselves 
Well, it leaves us with a sin-sick world that drives us to despair. And so creation longs for redemption, for things to be made right. Creation longs to be freed from the curse that it's been put under. Look at verse 19. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation literally, it, it watches eagerly with an outstretched head. It's like it's stretching its head and it's waiting for Christ's return, waiting for Christ to come back. But there's something we might miss here. It's that creation is not just longing for the return of Christ. Verse 19 says creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is longing for God's children to be revealed. Creation is longing for you. Because creation's freedom from the oppression to sin is connected to your freedom from the oppression of sin. Look at verse 21. See how Paul connects these things. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Remember John Chrysostom? I just read from the 4th century. Well, we didn't finish the quote. The whole quote goes like this. The earth too has received a curse. The creation suffered badly because of you, but it has not been irreparably damaged. You are not ruined beyond repair. The world is not ruined beyond repair. God doesn't just say, well, they ruined it, they ruined themselves, and now it's time to go home. Leave them to it. One of my favorite Christian philosophers, named is Al Walters, and he says, God doesn't make junk, and God doesn't junk what he's made. God doesn't make junk, and God doesn't junk what he's made. That applies to you and to me. That applies to all of creation. Yes, we rebelled against God. We hurled ourselves and the whole world into sinful disarray. But that's not how God made things. That's not how God made us. God doesn't make cheap junk. God makes beautiful, wonderful creations. And God doesn't just say it's all ruined and leave us to ourselves. No, our God goes out and he saves. Our God doesn't just throw out his creations. He calls us back to himself. He redeems. He restores. He makes new. And so the good news is this. God is already at work in the world. He is working. And so Paul can say in verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In hope. Cursed is the ground because of you in Genesis 3.17. Only comes after Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, right there at the beginning of the curse, God stops and he says, now here's hope. Here's a promise of hope. The seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. Through the seed of the woman, through man, Satan shall be defeated. Through Christ, the God-man, Satan is defeated. All the sins of God's elect are paid for. By being united to Christ, sinful human beings are restored into the image of Christ. And so we see that God has taken the first step. The redemption is happening. The sinful, sinful human beings are being freed from sin, which means the sinful world is being freed from sin. The creation needs redeemed rulers, and that's what God is doing. God is at work. And so we think, how does God redeem sinful humans? How does God save us? How does God build us up? How does God change our lives and then renew us and strengthen us to go out into the world 
to work and restore it for his glory. He does that through the gospel, through the blood of Christ. By the power of the Spirit, the Father unites sinful human beings to himself and to his perfectly righteous Son. And then through the means of grace, through word and sacraments and prayer, that's how God continually makes you new. And so that's why we always talk about the means of grace, because that's what God has chosen to use to build us up, to nourish us, to make us like Christ, and then to send us back out into the world to work to restore and renew it according to his purposes. And so we say all that to say, if God has been at work, if God is at work, and if God will be at work in restoring the world, then you can have hope. You can have hope even in the present suffering, even now. And so point number two, in Christ, you can have hope that you will live in a sin-free world. In Christ, you can have hope that you will live in a sin-free world. If the sin-sick world has led you to despair, consider God's plan. Consider what he's doing. He's at work. When we feel our sufferings, when we feel the weight of pain and sin and hardship, and it drags us down into the darkness, join with creation. Stretch out your head. Long for Christ to come. Beg for Christ to come. See this, look at verse 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In the present age of the already but the not yet, we groan together with creation. We wait for Christ's return. You know, we can see and feel and hear creation groaning. Just like, we, um, just like Pastor Lee highlighted for us last week, is earthquake that we felt and heard, things are shaking and moving around. It's creation groaning and travailing. You put those two terms together and you compare it to the pains of childbirth. We know that Eve in the garden is cursed with the pains of childbirth. And I also know that our mothers in the room would say, yes, and you have no idea what that's like. And so I say, yes, you're right. <laughs> I 100% agree. All I'm trying to say is this. The groanings of childbirth are given in hope. What do I mean? I'm meaning to say that the pains of childbirth mean a new life is on the way. It means a new baby is going to be born. A new be- beautiful creature of God will come into the world and we're going to celebrate. And we're going to rejoice that new life. See, those groanings are not futile groanings. Creation groans with childbirth, not because it's all going to die and be burned up anyways. No, creation groans in hope because the present sufferings give way to new life. Creation will be made new. Creation will be restored. The curse will be undone. Just like in the Chronicles of Narnia, Narnia is put under a curse. So if you go to Narnia, they say, it's winter, but it's never Christmas. It's cold and dark and icy and snowy, but the fun and the fellowship of Christmas never comes. But then when the king returns, the snow melts. New life springs up. Things are being made new. Things are being restored. 
In the same way, the sickness of this world, the pains of this world, the futility of this world, they will be no more. When Christ returns, they will be no more. And the crazy thing is, you're guaranteed of what's to come. You're guaranteed of what's to come. Look again at verse 23. Paul says, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons. You have the first fruits. You have the first fruits of adoption. If you're in Christ, you receive the spirit of adoption. Romans 8:15, just a few verses up. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is what's pictured in your baptism. When you're baptized, you're baptized into the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune God puts his mark on you and says, you are mine. You belong to me and my family. And the Spirit changes your heart. You're born again so that you can come to Christ. He, he, the Spirit unites you to Christ in his death and resurrection. And through Christ, you're made new. You're given Christ's perfect righteousness and all your guilt and your shame is washed away. By his wounds, you are healed. And so... Christian, if you believe in Christ, you're a son and daughter of God the Father. You're a son and daughter of the living God. You've been brought into His family. You have His name on your back. And so you can run to the God of the universe and you can say, Abba, Father, my Father. This is adoption. But this is the first fruits of adoption. It's not even the whole thing. You already have the first fruits, which means you're also going to have the whole thing. At the end of verse 23, Paul says, We eagerly await adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You already have the first fruits, but adoption gets even better. When Christ returns, your physical bodies will be resurrected to new life. Your glorious, redeemed body will mean a glorious, redeemed creation. And when Christ returns, he's going to complete the task, he's going to finish the job of making all things new. He will destroy all sin, all decay, all death, all sickness, all pain in the earth. And he will destroy all sin, all decay, all death, all sickness, and all pain in you. You will live forever in a perfected new heavens, new earth, with a new body that is not able to sin. This is the guaranteed redemption that you are saved into. Verse 24. Look there. For in this hope we were saved. This is the hope we were saved into. Cyril of Alexandria. Another guy from the 400's AD. Says for the time being this is a hope. Because it's not yet present. But it's a future certainty. That's true in the 400's. And that's true in the 2000's. This will happen. It's really true. This is real life. In the present age, what we see is sin and suffering. What we see are viruses and earthquakes and hurricanes. What we see are people getting sick and dying. What we see is hatred and violence and injustice. What we see is our own addictions to sin that feel like they enslave us, making us do the very thing we don't want to do. But what does verse 24 say? Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? 
We don't put our hope in what we see in the present age. We put our hope in what is not yet seen. And total redemption of our bodies for us, for the world, the whole cosmos, even though we don't see total redemption in the present age, it's absolutely certain in the age to come because Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And so, verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The present suffering pales in comparison to the hope that you have. If you're in Christ, then what's in store for you is going to make even 2020 seem like a mere shadow. It's like those times, this is something one of my good friends is experiencing right now. It's like those times you find out you're pregnant with your first child. Just super exciting. You're going to have a baby. Except for the fact that you just got a new job. That you're moving five states away from your family and friends. You don't know anybody there. You're trying to figure out when you're going to move. You're trying to figure out where you're going to move. You're going to try to figure out how you're going to have a baby, how you're going to have friends, how you're going to have help with a baby, where you're going to live, if you're even going to have a house. And then 10 years later, you look back, you think, man, what were we doing? Those were some crazy times. And you just laugh about it and you think, look at how far God has brought us. He always provides. It'll be like that, except times a million. You can't even imagine it. It's not even worth comparing, Paul says. So we've got to get from the right now perspective to the 10-year perspective. Or even better, we've got to get from the right now perspective to the all of eternity perspective. We look to the end with hope. We look to the end knowing that things will get better. We look to the end knowing that things will be okay. All will be made new. As Matthew Henry says, our way is rough and long But he that shall come, will come, even though he seems to tarry. And so we wait for him with patience. In these present times of suffering, do you need hope? Take your eyes off of what you see. Put your hope in what you do not see. Think about what God is doing in the world. Think about his plan for the world. He's at work. What has been distorted and defaced will be restored and renewed. So I implore you today, come to Christ and find hope for redemption. Come to Christ and find the life and the hope that you know deep down that's what you need. You know there is that longing in you. You know there is a groaning in you for things to be made right. And in Christ it will be. You can have hope. But this hope comes as you run to the Father admitting your need of Him to change you and make you new. You live in a sin-sick world, and you cause a sin-sick world, but in Christ there will be a sin-free world. And so come to Christ today and find the hope that your soul needs. As we wrap up, I'll leave you with this final thought. I have a friend on Twitter. He's a small-town church pastor. He's relatively young, in his 30s maybe. Um, A few years back, his mom passed away rather unexpectedly, and it was really difficult for him. He was close with his mom, and then shortly thereafter, his wife was diagnosed with cancer, and it was rough, and she suffered, and she passed away as well. And so he had lost these two closest women in his life, and he was 
He knows the realities of the suffering of the present time. He knows it. And because he knows that other people know it as well, he wants to encourage them with the hope that he's found. And the hope that he's found is that Christ is coming back to make all things new. And so almost every night, he tweets out, this is what he tweets out. He says, sleep tight, beloved. Resurrection day approaches. Resurrection day approaches. He's coming, y'all. Jesus is really coming. He's really going to make things new. We are going to be made new, to be redeemed. What has been lost will be restored. This is the hope that we have. And so the next time, when you're just overwhelmed with the suffering of the world, and it's just pouring down on you, and your thoughts are racing, and you're saying, God, what do I do? It's just too much. Remember this. Sleep tight, beloved. Resurrection day approaches. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. Let's pray. Father, you are God, our maker, sustainer, redeemer, and friend. Lord, we pray that we will know this hope. We pray that your spirit will bring us to you so that we will have hope in you and that you will redeem and restore all things. Lord, drive us to our knees in worship of you and give us hope. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.